and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier continue to talk about the two natures of Christ, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service to His kingdom since 1964. To learn more or apply, look at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osher. All right, we're back and we're into our Old Testament episode in this arc of episodes. We're back. Cannot verify how many of the readers or the listeners, listeners are back after taking them through 25 minutes of idiomaticum, myostaticum, and apotelismaticum. Bad Latin. Bad Latin. We should start a... Yeah, we could do that. We the could start Latin another podcast. Offshoot podcast. I'm going to start my own just to kind of spite you guys. Bad Latin with Adam. <laughs> you know, what you, which is really funny because bad Latin is often expressed in the nature of the five solas of the Reformation. Because you oh, get to yeah. the sola scriptua, and then it's sola Christa, and it's supposed Christus. to be solus Christus with solus the Christus. correct ending. Oh, yeah. And sola. it's not five solas, but but five solas is, is a little hard to say. Or four solas and a solus. It, it doesn't have the same ring to it. it. Really, is a complicated thing, isn't it? Yeah. Let's get off of Latin, Brett. Let's look at the Old Testament right. for this first part of the small cult articles. The third article we're looking at. Thank. I, I left. I left that for you to say and not me this time around. Yes, we have yeah. discovered what it is. <laughs> we know what we're talking about we now. We know what we're talking uh, about. Yes. We're three episodes in, but hey, it's better than four Yeah, to know what we're talking about. We're honestly ahead of the curve. We're raising the bar ever so slightly, millimeter at a time here That's at Bay Lutheran. Right. Something. Yes. yes. Yeah, so we are in 2 Samuel today, and Our, we're looking at... What's 2 that? Samuel or 2 Samuel? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Are we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Second Samuel, continue. Second Samuel, or as some some people Europeans say, 2 Samuel. <laughs> Second Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. And I will read that for us, and we'll launch into our discussion here. Second uh, Samuel 12, 7, 12 through 16 says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers... Uh, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son, sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before... From before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever by me, before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Uh, yeah, just through verse 16. Yep, yep. that's the We're end. good to go. Amen. 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 This is one of my favorite passages. I love this. It is. It's, it's great because it's it's like David, who is this man chosen by God, who's a man after God's heart. He's he's excited about this idea of of, of conquest. He's settled, right? He's he's had a tumultuous coming into his his kingdom, right? Uh, and he is he's had a tough time. And here he is. He's built himself this kind of palace, and and he sits there. He looks at his palace. He's like, God, I got this nice palace. I'm gonna build you one too. 
And it's like, I'd be neighbors. Yeah. And, and, and I can just imagine God, God kind of like, you know, kind of yeah. that look like uh, Jim on the office, just kind of like, you know, nodding with that kind of, okay, well, let's maybe not. I'll take care of it. Let me tell you what, I'm going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build me a house. I'm going to build this house thing here. And it's beautiful. I, I just love how it is. And, and, and God is making this promise. It's a case study in, in prophecy. What is, what is a, you know, a short-term fulfillment of the prophecy? What does a long-term fulfillment of a prophecy look like? Uh, how do the things fit? It, there's just so much going on here. It's exciting. It's fun. I love this story. You sent me down like five different pop culture rabbit holes with that whole thing. Uh, you're going to start your bad Latin podcast. Uh, I'm going to f- film a companion edition to The Chosen, where, where it's the whole it's the whole of scripture done in the style of an office documentary. And, the whole point of it is that every time the humans do something stupid, it cuts to J- John Krasinski, who's going to play God, just doing the eyebrow, eyebrow raise at the camera. <laughs> it's like the humans figure, well, let's build a tower to the sky. Cut to John Krasinski, raises an eyebrow. <laughs> we, uh, when you say that, no lie, this happened just recently in my Romans class. I, I have midterm tests, and it's really later than midterm, but it's my first test, and I go through it. The first time ever that every single person in my class answered the question correctly. The question was true or false. Sanctification is Christ's work in you. Justification is Christ's work for you. The answer being true. And every single student got that right because one girl in the class made a meme of me. I was standing looking confused <laughs> at my computer and the meme was Pastor Osier, well he is you know grading a pop quiz where students just don't get justification or sanctification <laughs> where they, for, for, after teaching it for the 40th time this semester. And they finally got it and I was so excited. And so I told this girl after they all got it right, I said, we need to do Romans in memes. Yeah. <laughs> we can sell this. Like that, that that will sell. This is great. Great minds. So we're, so we're there. And then when you started talking about God's house, throwback for 90s CCM recoverers, it's a big, big house <laughs> with lots and lots of rooms. A and a big, big, big table with lots and lots of food. food. And a big, big yard where, where we, we can, can play, play football. football. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly where I went. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Uh, Not and, sorry, but and we hope you'll still join us next week. For the two people still listening, yes. Second Samuel, <laughs> Adam's mom and Gideon, probably. Yeah, yep. <laughs> no one in my house listens. So, what do we got to pick out of this? What are the <laughs> if we were to pick out four Shout main out parts mom. from this? Let's let's limit ourselves to four big ideas. Just four? Just four. Oh. Okay. Yeah, uh, we've yeah. already burned through six and a half yeah. minutes of podcast time. <laughs> I guess my question is, you know, why why this passage for this particular portion of the small called articles? Uh, because it really emphasizes the human nature of Christ coming out of the Old Testament. Uh, it's also quoted in some of the key confessional documents, you know, roll back to this as we kind of cross-reference it. But the, I, I think principally the first thing that we ought to note here so that we, we remain with a consistent biblical hermeneutic is that this really teaches the mountain range mm. view of prophecy. Yeah, like you were right? saying. Adam. Yeah. Yep. This prophecy is both, and specifically, both about Solomon and about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's not either or, it's both and. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So to begin with, looking at that, so I will build your son who will come from your body. Will I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. Well, the Solomonic temple. No. That David did not build the house. He's a house for God. He was a man of war, but Solomon, his son, did build the temple, and and in all its splendor. You know that was kind of the golden age, really, of the the Israelites of of Israel's history. That way, I want to hear really quick. I want to hear Brett say Solomonic. Why? Because <laughs> Apotelismaticum. Solomonic. There we go. Nailed it. All right. Keep going. <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I was going. Oh, and at the same time, the house that's being referred to is the house of God. It's the household of God. It's the people of God. I'm going to establish this house uh, that will, and, and simultaneously, I think a reference to the, the person of Jesus himself, who is the temple. You know, that, nope. that that is the temple that's built, but that how we are brought into that, right? That we are being built upon that cornerstone of the house. So it's talking about in a short term, yeah, there's going to be a physical building where God's going to dwell in Israel. And then in the long run, in the bigger thing, Jesus is going to establish a house for God, complete with his people through his stripes, etc. And Which is still a physical building. That's what's so awesome about this. So... Solomon builds a temple out of brick and stone and mortar. Jesus is a physical tabernacle, which is, you know, we quoted last episode, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, mm-hmm. the literal word being used there is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So the first fulfillment, the first Christic fulfillment of this prophecy is the body of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is traipsing around Israel for three years going, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about the temple of his body. Mm-hmm. But then you alluded that the third range of peaks that we go, this is talking about the church. Yep. And then Jesus builds the church for God, for God's glory. It's it's one it just keeps going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think the the key one of the key points that comes out to me as we look at the text, offspring. Right, you, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and, and it's very clear in that particular, you know, in that in that illustration there that it's going to be a child of David, somebody who comes from his, you know, the physical union of him, and interestingly enough, Bathsheba. Yep. Being the the individual with whom you know David, of course, having other wives, but Bathsheba, the one with whom he had committed an affair, um, it, he and um, and Bathsheba's child will be that person. But then the the whole New Testament. I mean, there's no, no, nothing surprise. There's no shocking moment here that Jesus is called the Son of David. Uh, Romans chapter one. He was considered the Son of David according to the flesh. And and the point that that Paul's making there is he goes on to say and, and declared to be the Son of God also. So actually Romans would be a great illustration for Jesus, you know, this, this passage where he's truly man, he's truly God, right? But the true man part, yeah, he was a descended of David according to the flesh. And that Romans passage also highlights that we got to be very particular about the translation of offspring mm. because Paul mm-hmm. fleshes out, he did not say offsprings, mm. yeah, he said plural. offspring, yep. right? And so again, Solomon Christ, and it's both the divine and human natures in Christ that are of you because God raises up a king after his own heart like David, but it's also Jesus comes from flesh and blood, King David. It's it's just a great fulfillment of this prophecy that, I mean, to be honest, you're reading through this like you're doing a one-year Bible reading plan, you, you can kind of read through it and nod to yourself, yeah, probably Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. But the the riches and depth of these five verses are, are remarkable. Mm-hmm. It, yep, go ahead. I was going to say, just in addition to that, uh, it, it's very easy then as you're reading through this and you're seeing the offspring, we tend to think of things as, as we read scripture literally, where it demands to be read literally, right? But prophecy is oftentimes alluding to future events. And so a literal, well, that's going to come from your body, you're thinking your direct son, not your future generations kind of great, 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 great grandson, but you're thinking immediate. And so you start thinking that, and then you start reading this on a one-year reading plan, like you're talking about. And all of a sudden it's like, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then you think of, whoops, Babylon, well, <laughs> you know, well, that seemed like it ended things. And, and so you're like, well, could this possibly be? So it should trigger your mind to think, okay, is this a bigger thing? What's, what's God talking about here? And here it is, thousand years before Christ, he's declaring, here it is. Well, and Solomon died, so that's his kingdom wasn't forever because he died. The Solomonic dynasty died, I did it again, Solomonic, died because there's not a an heir on the throne right now. Israel doesn't have a king. Israel, in fact, the, the, the Israel that all of the generic American Christians are falling all over themselves about as a fulfillment of prophecy, you know, 1948 Israel, they elect their leaders. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't have a Davidic monarch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so we, we run into all these things where it's very convenient to cherry pick the literalism of our prophecies, mm-hmm. right? But... In this case, you can be literal in both sense of the word because Solomon is a fulfillment to this prophecy. Right. But we have to realize prophecies have fulfillments right. and not just one. Right. And so the, the references to time, like forever, verse 13, verse 14, not depart from him. You know, there's, there's kind of like a little hint there that there's something bigger going on, too. Yeah, and it's possible. I I think it's debatable. I think it's pretty sure that David had a fuller understanding of the Messiah than we give him credit for, right? You know, maybe not people contemporaries David did, but I think David, based on what we read in the Psalms and what he confesses, had a pretty good idea of of messianic lineage coming from him, right? Mm -hmm. But this, this whole forever thing, a modern or a contemporary, not a modern, a contemporary ruler of David would have just said, you know, my dynasty is just going to perpetuate mm, itself. Sure. That's exactly yep. how they would have thought about it. But we know that can't be the case. You know, the, the history has borne that out. Yep. It's interesting to me that as it ties back into the two natures of Christ, the the forever language really tips off that a couple of things that Jesus is going to be human forever. Once he is becomes flesh, there's that aspect. Um, and, and that ties in with Hebrews about him. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, being our brother in like, like us in every way, you know, for always. And so, so because of that, we have the assurance that we have access to the throne of God, right? There's this forever Jesus being like us in every way as human, but at the same time, doing the things that he's described to be doing in this text declares him to be God, you know, that there's no other explanation. And so even in that word forever, you get everything tied up into that, that Jesus is fully man, fully God. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, there's this expression in here too, of, uh, committing iniquity and, uh, you know, maybe as a reading it outright, you're thinking, well, if this is Jesus, this can't be Jesus. Yeah. Like it, maybe people are thinking, well, how does that fit into it? So, uh, I, to be honest, for a long time, I've wrestled with this passage for that very reason. You know, when we talk about committing Jesus, it feels a little bit, 
disingenuous to kind of take the Second Corinthians five twenty one route mm. to this, mm-hmm. where he made him to be sin who knew no sin. It, it it doesn't feel like a fit. If you stop at iniquity, if, if you think that's the section of the prophecy, then you run into problems with that. You you, you have an occasion, but it keeps on going, right? And so when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Okay, the stripes and the sons of men are what tie it up because now we get to a we can take a straight line from this to the cross, to the cross by yeah. way of Isaiah fifty three, mm-hmm. where if another spot in scripture, by stripes, yeah, yeah, by his stripes we are healed, and 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 the plural of the we becomes very important with the sons of men. Right. Explain that a little bit. So we are with the stripes of the sons of men, I think, and I've always taught this, I think points to that Jesus died for the sins of everyone. It's first John mm-hmm. two, one and two. Yep. Right? So that that the the for Solomon, the immediate fulfillment is this is a common way a sinner is punished. Right? That multiple sinners have been punished by flogging for being idiots. Okay, but if 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 we talk about iniquity, which is a judicial term, right? It's a it's a term that very very largely connected to guilt. That's the idea of iniquity. And then we go to the stripes. By his stripes we are healed. The old translation of Isaiah fifty three, or by his wounds. Uh, then the plural of the sons of man becomes not the nature of the punishment, but who he's being punished for. Is this kind of like the way we talk about how Christ or how God sees us as never sinning yep. because of the great exchange? Maybe this is the other side of it where it appears like Christ has yep. sinned because he has taken on our sin. And that's the nature of the absolution, right? Mm-hmm. Why we receive assurance of salvation from the absolution is one of the things when I do private confession and absolution, I, in some way, shape, or form, I say your sins no longer exist because they don't belong to you. Jesus owns them now. Mm-hmm. They're not yours. And that's exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. He himself surely has borne our yeah. sins on his bo- in his body on the tree. Mm-hmm. First Peter, you know, that language of you know, the, the him being <laughs> becoming sin, who knew no sin, yep. that we might become the righteousness of God, Second Corinthians 5. You have that, that language throughout Scripture. And it's interesting because it's easy to look at that um, literally with Solomon, yep. you know, with the Solomonic <laughs> fulfillment of this, right? Well, he I- has committed iniquity, and he did. He, he was, you know, he was not perfect. He was a sinner. Uh, and as a result of his own dysfunction and leadership, the kingdom did fall, you know, down a number of generations. But at the same time, it, it began the, the process of his, you know, Rehoboam, Jeroboam split, you know. And I was really hoping you were going there because what really makes this interesting then is the Rehoboam language that he used when the kingdom split. My father scourged you with whips, but I will scourge you with scorpions. Yeah. Right. So all of this stuff is just swirling around in the background for the consistency of the language in God's word. And so the the, the scourging of Solomon actually happens to Rehoboam as he threatens to scourge the people. And then Jesus is scourged for the people. 
because of the failures of all the kings, right? All, mm-hmm. all of the Israelites. It's, it's just amazing how if you immerse yourself in the word of God and you commit to its consistency, how often that com- consistency will just start to pop off the page. Yep. Interesting, too, just to tie into last week, I know we've made a lot of fun of the the bad Latin, but um, the genus Apatellus maticum is, is kind of in view here. It's the work of Christ yep. that is, is in view of this um, being, you know, um, receiving the stripes of men for the, the iniquity of men. You know, that applies and, and it belongs to his work for us as both human and divine. You know, as as God and man, as He steps into our place that way. That's just another example for our listeners. As as how does that? How do those words from last week tie in? This is a great example. You're thinking of of the work of Christ rather than so much as attributes as His service to us, um, both as God and man. What one thing before we before we close here? Um, I know we're getting relatively close, but the. Um, the, the words house and kingdom and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And uh, just the words house and kingdom there. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I just pointed at Brett. He just pointed at me. So good job setting us up. Well, I could answer the question. It's like Adam throwing a bounce pass between Brett and I on the basketball court and it bounces out of about. Well, the the house kingdom, what I go to immediately, the house takes us back to the temple language, right? Because the whole purpose of David is that he wanted to build a house for uh, the Lord and the Lord then is going to build David's house, as you said. The kingdom language is very interesting when you talk about the way Christ used the word kingdom. So not only you have like all of Matthew dedicated to the kingdom parables of Jesus, but you have Jesus stepping in at his crucifixion, at his trial, confessing my kingdom is not of this world. And, and that really puts a bow on the messianic interpretation of this passage, because the, the, we're not focused on an earthly dynasty. We're not focused on a geopolitical dynamic here now. We're focused on an eternal kingdom of Christ that was purchased by his blood for the church. If I can close with a passage to, to tie into that, the kingdom language, uh, and, and another shout out to Brian, of course, for this. Uh, but Revelation 5, I think it, it closes us off well. Revelation uh, 5, beginning with verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood you purchased for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osier wrap up their discussion on the two natures of Christ, looking at a New Testament passage and its application. God bless you and have a great week.